Interlude, Present Day. She lingered in the liminal space that presaged sleep, this new space of hers where reality had variable density and lacked tactile strength. On nights where she met with the Alpha, she was never sure where she was, or when she was. The distance between sleep and consciousness were both vast and minuscule here. There would be darkness and peace and nothing until the great white cloud rolled in, obscuring reality. Everything turned to cloud, and everything always was cloud. The thrum of the ship's engine and the environmental systems, which she didn't realize she'd always heard in the background, would be suddenly gone. There were no odors. The temperature was completely uniform with her body. It was a place of transition as senses booted into her new space. When she would arrive, she always smelled first. This time it was the smoke of fires, cooking meat, animal dung, filth. Next, she could feel her body as her feet sank into soft ground, snow or mud or a riverbank, perhaps. The wind was charged with a lingering chill as it blew across her neck, raising goose flesh. But the sun was up to counter it, high and warm. There was noise then, metal clinking, people talking, laughing, hollering in unison, some unknown mantra in a language she didn't speak. She tried to figure out where she was, not a clue. The pieces seemed too disjointed. She had sight, finally, and all the components suddenly fit. She was on a muddy hill, feet sinking down into the slop a bit. At the base of a peak was a large army. It was a camp, short wooden walls, horses, chariots. There were chariots and banners that had to have been Roman. Centurions marched the perimeter. Soldiers inside the walls were drilling with a shield phalanx, barking their war chant, which she had mistaken as a mantra. There must have been thousands of them down there. The soldiers lined up drilling. But then there were the other people she wouldn't have thought about. The support. The cooks and stable hands. The blacksmiths. The butchers slaughtering from pens full of livestock. There were even musicians playing in places, and a stage that looked like it supported an orator. A small crowd gathered in front of him. Her first thought was that it was a comedian, but then she felt stupid at the notion. Stand-up comedy was a couple of thousand years away from this place. Maybe it was a news barker or simply an officer giving out orders in mass. And by all the world did it stink. Even the mud that sucked up to her ankles was black and smelled of decay. As she scanned the horizon, there was nothing of note. Not a town or a building or a road. There were only some hills, shorter than this one, wide open fields, and the remnants of snow clutching to the shadows of dense copses of trees. Spring thaw meant an army would soon be on the march. That said a lot about the framer and their actual task. At the base of the mud-covered hill strode the Alpha. He wore his white robes with insignia patch on his sleeve. His clothes were filthy from this place, mud like an inverted halo around his ankles. He had a piece of meat roasted on a spit, and he looked intent to eat it. She thought it was repulsive to even consider. He made eye contact with her and took a large, greasy bite. Fat squirted from the sides of the flesh, and it dripped along his face and down his pristine robes, staining them even more. He wiped his mouth generously with his flowing sleeve. The old man said something but was too far away for her to have heard him. She wondered who the framer was here in the ancient Roman war camp and guessed at their true military purpose. She'd never know because she already sensed the change coming. It almost felt like being inebriated. Her core would get fuzzy, warm, happy. 
A deep sense of satisfaction would fill her breast and extend from there, and she knew it was time to close her eyes as she shifted and the white clouds came back to erase and reset the world. The smell of horse and earth and man was gone. The sound of an army drifted off through some strange Doppler, being replaced by the sound of calm water lapping and old gasoline-powered motors. The smell of exhaust fumes and dead fish and salt water filled the air. She was sitting on a cold surface. A biting wind blew through her thin uniform. Upon opening her eyes, she was at a waterfront, just outside of some major metropolitan area. Skyscrapers were abound on the other side of this river or bay. Closer than the city was some sort of dock hub. Massive ships, she didn't know they used to make them that large, were covered in large containers and sat below cranes that were busy hauling and offloading cargo. Boats pushed to and from the city and the smell of pollution wafted from the water up the cement embankment. She was in a park of some sort, on a metal bench. Why a park here? She couldn't imagine who would want to sit on this cold bench, smell this smell, and watch these ships get loaded. On all sides of the park stood what must be warehouses or industrial buildings related to the waterfront. Based on the construction of the buildings and the nature of the watercraft and their gasoline engines, this was quite evidently pre-war. For no good reason, she thought it was the east coast of the old United States, like maybe a Boston or a Baltimore or a New York. She couldn't even guess at a year. There were a lot of old suspension bridges here and there. One feature stood out in the skyline, a clue to which city it must be. Two identical towers loomed over all the skyscrapers, double the size of most. The Alpha was still walking toward her, at the same distance he was in Rome, but instead of a hill, he was down walking across the water itself. She wondered if she could walk on water, and then doubted it very much. The laws of physics anchored her, even in this place. He walked out of view since he was down low where the water was, but he soon came walking up a stone staircase several meters to her right. He no longer had his spit of meat, and his robe was no longer dirty. She checked her feet. No more mud from a Roman spring thaw. I like it here, the Alpha said, sitting. If you're curious, he's in the office off in that tiny brown building right there, he said, pointing across some of the water toward the hub of the shipping area. He thinks he's in charge of these loading docks. It's wonderful. Does good work, union man, married. His two sons attend him and work with him on the docks, as you can imagine. Convenient, she said. Well, they have to be something, he replied. They paused and watched the city for some time. Every once in a while, the smell of raw, pure ocean overpowered the dead fish and chemical smells, but it was a war for dominance. Finally, he broke his silence. New York City, he said, pointing at the Twin Towers as if that would mean something to her. 92, I would think. 1992, she asked? Yes, looked totally different in 2092. Utterly reborn. Those two towers are no more. Oh, that's right. Why aren't we at the old dame? You're done with the dame. That part of the debrief is over. In fact, that space is no longer your space. You'll be somewhere new. Sometime new. And anyway, your psyche isn't quite ready yet for the evening. You're too much with the world right now. You're falling closer to a sleep state, and then we can begin. In the meantime, you're hitched to me, and I'm surfing frames, doing my rounds, as it were. And I don't need to be psychic to feel your worry. The dame is in good hands, has been since you got here. Or there. 
where you are now, but you need to fall into sleep more deeply, my dear. She closed her eyes and moved into Summer Lily Pad, or Meditation Number C-27. It was one of the advanced ones they learned, but it was one that would help her tumble into that impalpable place between sleep and consciousness, the place Alpha needed to access. Her breathing, her posture, her mantra, all fell into alignment as she fully embraced the techniques of Summer Lily Pad. It was the most effective one for her, though too advanced for most, and she felt the warmth again, the buzz. She smelled and heard home. A new home. Her senses booted one by one, and when they were finished, she found herself on the dock of a seafaring vessel. It was a cruise ship. She knew instantly that it was 2018. She had a nagging feeling that it had always been 2018 and would only ever be 2018, but Alpha had warned her of that impulse, taught her how to push it at bay. Your mind is staggeringly powerful, Josephine. That was incredibly fast. So a cruise ship... That makes perfect sense if you really think about it. Sorry it isn't much escape from your current situation. Josephine laughed, a chuckle of agreement and a bit of depression. A cruise ship, he was right. It was no different for her than the other place. But they took a walk across the deck. The temperature was perfect. A bright sun hung low in the sky. The smell of a dozen types of food wafted from different doors they passed. A pizza place, a place for frozen treats, and a coffee kiosk in the first 50 feet alone. The decks were devoid of passengers, but the staff was hard at work. Again, not much of an escape. The Alpha walked up to the kiosk and ordered two drinks. He called them tall quad hot white mochas. The words were mostly English, which they spoke on that ship instead of standard, but they didn't string together to produce any actual meaning. A few frothy minutes later, the barista made a confusing inquiry. Whipped? The Alpha said please, and a moment later, Josephine was handed the drink in a cardboard cup with the same logo that was on the side of the ship and on the Alpha's armband. Did you do that? She asked with a giggle, pointing at the logo. This one is 100% you, Josephine. It needed to be. They walked and found a sitting area that had a great view of the sunset. The drink was amazing, like nothing she'd ever had. There was a coffee kick buried under layers of creaminess and chocolate and a touch of salt. The flavors married deliciously, and she wanted to commit the order of words he used in that sequence to make an order again the next time she was here. Quad, mocha, white, tall, something. She swallowed a second drink and paused to enjoy it before saying, I know you have a thousand other people stuck in the middle of daunting work, Alpha. They need you more than your little castaway does. And you have messages to receive. Yes, yes. Why am I here, he said. First, I do honestly enjoy our time together. Don't tell anyone, but you are my favorite Josephine. He winked that wink of his. I want you to tell me about WorldGov. Why is it good? How has it helped? Josephine paused and thought. The answers were so obvious that she didn't know why the Alpha would want to know them. He must have wanted her take on it. She wanted another sip, but didn't want to make Alpha wait. Well, the good. There hasn't been a war between nation-states in over 100 years. There is no more famine, no more poverty, no more racial injustice. Sexism is gone, as is hatred towards different sexual identities. There's a true global democracy for the first time in human history. Everyone gets an education, medicine, food, clean water, shelter, clothing. There's no more class distinction. 
Everybody earns the same amount, and there is enough for everyone. WorldGov provides cures for previously deadly diseases, body replacements, life extensions. We've unlocked the oceans and farthest regions of our solar system. The Lariat closes soon. We can talk to dolphins. She ended on one that many considered frivolous, but the dolphins had say in the world vote and equal representation in WorldGov after the messengers deemed them fully sentient and self-aware. Please, the Alpha said, pointing to Josephine's mocha with a flat hand. She drank, and he asked, I want you to tell me about WorldGov. How is it bad? How is it harmed? She paused and thought. She paused longer, not sure how to proceed or why. What negatives were there? None that she ever thought about, but some she heard others mention. Some people say the CHIT system gives everyone low-quality goods compared to life before the war. People claim the world vote system can unfairly downvote people into difficult or dangerous jobs because they have unpopular views, and that these people basically become servitors because they'll never do anything to get them upvoted to improve their lot, but the stats on these are a minuscule percent of the human population. She thought longer, and the Alpha simply watched the sunset and nodded every once in a while. She suddenly remembered something her grandmother used to wonder about and thought it was a good point here. Oh, well, we don't know the actual intention or capabilities of the Kel when they finally come through the Lariat. We assume on good faith that we'll be welcomed to their government and left as autonomous peoples and we'll get even greater technological innovation than we were able to get beamed, but we can't know that. He nodded more firmly. The Alpha finally said, These are all things that need to be discussed, but not by me. Your time as a framer is over, Josephine. I'm here to prepare you for the messages. There were only ever five messengers. One had to die to be replaced. There was no downvote for someone so integral a part of WorldGov. Who died? Am I to replace someone? Have I been upvoted? This is not that, the Alpha said. You need to receive dreams. You need to meet an alien mind and discuss the pros and cons of WorldGov with it. It often genders itself as female for me, but that type of biological identity does not in any way apply to what this being is. That being is curious, too curious sometimes, and funny, if I'm being honest. I want you to spend some time dreaming her dreams. She was the first one to speak to me there, to beam me ideas and technologies. She is not what you think she is. She will know things about you that you do not want her to know and will wriggle around in your mind looking for the hard-to-reach corners. This isn't something she does to be intrusive. This isn't something she can even help but do. She will always tell you the truth. Her species seems incapable of lying, and wants nothing more than to be your ally, and she is the most formidable being you will ever encounter. Are you ready for that? If the Alpha says this will happen, this will happen, she said. The Alpha rolled his head back and sighed, but also had a slight smile on his face. This is not that, he repeated. Are you, Josephine Wu, ready and willing to dream this being's dreams, knowing you will never be the same person again, and knowing that it will make you one of the most dangerous humans to have ever lived? Yes, Josephine said with a speed that surprised even her. The Alpha smiled, and she could feel the clouds roll in.